open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as you know, we are going through the book of 1 Peter, uh, and the last few weeks we've been listening to Peter as he talks about the doctrine of the church. And in light of that topic in 1 Peter, we, we wanted to seize a week and examine a, a metaphor that Paul, the apostle, uses for the church, a metaphor he uses broadly and richly in the New Testament, the metaphor of the body of Christ. And we wanted to explore that metaphor this morning. We thought it would be a, a helpful uh, conclusion to this little mini-series we've been doing in First Peter, uh, specifically the last couple weeks, on the doctrine of the church. So this single verse describes this metaphor, but I'm going to describe some of the, the impacts of this metaphor uh, for the Christians. So let's just read this, this one verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and then I'll unpack four different applications of this metaphor uh, that Paul uses in various places in the New Testament. And let's remember as we read even a single verse, this is God's Word, His authoritative, life-transforming, life shaping word. We bring our, our current lifestyle to it for that lifestyle to be evaluated and changed and shaped according to that word. So let's do that consciously right now. Let's bring our current life to this verse, this biblical metaphor, and surrender our current life to the Lord for His transformation and renewal. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There is a cartoon that my family has enjoyed in the past uh, in which a, a little dog uh, suddenly finds itself in trouble for sticking its head through a wrought iron fence and getting stuck. He can't get out. He pulls and he pushes, but he can't get out because, of course, he's connected. He's connected. It's the most obvious thing in the world. Our heads and our bodies are connected. They can't be separated or severed safely. We can't try to go our separate ways, head from body. Where one is, the other always is. The body depends on the head, and the head always directs the body. And yet, there is a great spiritual temptation that every Christian faces and sadly, some Christians even try to accomplish that of claiming a living connection to Christ, but not having a life connection to His body. And even before we got tornadoed by 2020 and its unexpected challenges, isolationism and churchlessness was a major problem for the Western church. The idea that spiritual subjectivity or, or even, even good priorities like the family or a useful employment lured Christians away 
from the biblical teaching on the body of Christ and toward a temptation to try to separate belief in Christ from life in his body. And then we were hit with 2020. (laughs) And for the first time in our lives, we had to endure a temporary suspension of church gatherings and now a radical reduction of church meeting places for Christians. And perhaps most importantly, we have to navigate the consciences of our brothers and sisters in Christ with gentle and humble care during a cultural earthquake that is unique for many of us. And somehow now, a churchless Christianity seems even more appealing than it did in 2019. Now, I want to speak directly for just a moment before we get into the heart of this message. I want to speak directly to those with unique physical vulnerabilities or those who out of a genuine desire to serve others or honor the Lord are not present this morning. This, not, this message is not about condemning an honest decision to honor the Lord in this unique moment. So just to clear that caveat out of your mind, I don't believe we should ignore the burdens of the physically vulnerable or the biblically informed conscience of every Christian. But that being said, surely we must all acknowledge that even in the unique challenge of 2020, our lives must be shaped by the Bible. And biblical Christianity is church shaped. Biblical Christianity is church-shaped, and the one thing 2020 must not be allowed to do is to train us to dismiss or ignore or permanently neglect the Bible's calling on the body of Christ. We might say it this way, a living connection to Christ calls for a life connected to His body. It's the most obvious thing in the world physically, but a little harder to do spiritually. A living connection to Christ calls for a life connection to his body. We might say it more straightforwardly. To belong to Christ is to be called to the church. To belong to Christ is to be called to the church. We can't claim a connection to the head of the body and not be in that body. This metaphor that God himself chose to describe our relationship to Christ and to each other is meant to define and shape our Christianity. You cannot be a faithful Christian unless you are a body Christian. You cannot be connected to Christ unless you are connected meaningfully to his body. There is no severing the head from the body. I want to explore five applications of this, this simple metaphor. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Four, rather, four applications of this metaphor. Number one, what does it mean that we are the body of Christ? What does that mean? How, how, do, we, how do we apply that into everyday life? First thing it means, it means that we are submitted to Christ. We are submitted to Christ. Application number one. What does it mean for the Christian that they are part of the body of Christ? It means they are submitted to Christ. Christ is not just any body part, but he is the head of the body. This is the point in uh, Ephesians 5 where Paul writes, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Also his point again in Colossians 1.18, and he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of his church, to use this metaphor. It's a, it's a body part metaphor that's meant to indicate authority and supremacy. And we receive his authority, according to Scripture, through his word. 
His word is our authority. John Calvin said the Bible is the scepter by which the heavenly king rules his church. Christ himself quoted the Old Testament as having absolute authority, even down to a single word or grammar mark, and then he declared that the Holy Spirit would empower his followers to bear witness to his authoritative message, and we have that message in the pages of the New Testament. So the Bible, the Old Testament, and new is the word of Christ's authority. And since he is our head, and since to be a faithful Christian, you have to be part of the body, well, as a good body part, we obey and submit to his head. To be a part of the body of Christ is to be under the authority of the word of Christ. A believer, by definition, is one who has come under the word of Christ as the head and authority of their lives. The church is the community of those. This is where that metaphor comes into practice for us. It's the community of those who live under the authority of God's Word. That's why when we gather, we prioritize the Word. We sing the truth of the Word. We read the Word. We preach the Word. We pray according to the will of God revealed in the Word. All as a way of declaring that Christ is our head. That he is the head of his church, and his word is our absolute rule and authority. It's also one definition of membership at Redemption Hill, relevant for our meeting we will have this afternoon. That to be a member of our church is to be one whose profession of faith and lifestyle is in conformity to the authority of Christ as expressed in his word. You cannot be a part of the the visible body of Christ on this earth if your life displays nothing of submission to the headship of Christ. The opposite is also true. To be in the body is to be gladly, not perfectly, but gladly submitted to His authority. Now, when we think about Christ and His authority today, we want to think about categories of courage and conscience. Being submitted to Christ and His Word means that we are courageous and obedient where the Word is clear, and it means means we refuse to be dogmatic where the Word is not clear. Both are expressions of submission to the Word of God. To say it this way, we don't speak authoritatively where God has been silent, and we dare not speak flexibly where God has been clear. To hold anything as absolute that the Word does not is challenging God Himself. It's second-guessing what He put in His Word. To hold anything as flexible that God does not is defying God Himself. And we need to be very, very careful right now. We need to be very careful in this cultural earthquake we're facing right now not to equate our extra-biblical application with the Bible itself, lest the hand try to second-guess the head. That might relate to our view of masks or medicine or government authority or the best way to witness to the culture. We must be very careful. Where the Bible is clear, let us be courageous in submission to our head. Where the Bible is not specific... Let us be true to our conscience and gracious and kind to fellow Christians. Christ, and not our perspective, is the head of the church. We are not the brain of the church, helping out Christ by helping out those ridiculous body parts 
who don't seem to agree with us. And yet sometimes we talk that way. God doesn't need us as a supplemental head of his church. It's not as though he suddenly decided that two heads were needed and we were the other one. The Bible doesn't need our addendums or our supplements or our alterations for the word to finally be sufficient for the 2020 situation. I remember hearing a pastor say one time, I believe this was Charles Simeon, that he said, there's not a man, I think he's speaking of preachers, there's not a preacher out there who wouldn't wish some phrase or other in the Bible could have been written slightly differently. I think Christians think that way too. Well, couldn't you just said this little bit more or this little bit less or been a little bit clearer on this issue? And yet, and yet Christ is our authority. The hand dare not say to the head, couldn't you speak a little differently in this way? Where the Bible is clear, we must be courageous. Where the Bible is silent or vague, we must be gracious and cautious and not dogmatic. Very important in this moment. In matters of clarity, courage, in matters of obscurity, humility, and patience, and in both, we are submitting, we are being a body submitted to the head. First application of being the body of Christ means we are submitted to the head of the body, that is Christ himself. Second application, we are united in Christ. <laughs> These are the most obvious points related to the body metaphor, but we need to be freshly renewed and reminded of them. We are united in Christ. Christians are saved as individuals, but in their salvation, they are made a part of the body of Christ. In being united to Christ, we are simultaneously united to each other. Let me make a a grammar point, uh, very valuable, often in the scriptures. Often it's the case that, unfortunately, in English, we miss out on the massive number of second-person plural pronouns that are present in the Greek. In other words, the Greek says y'all when the English simply says you, and we might miss that point a repeated number of times. Very helpful. You can almost always assume most of the time when the New Testament says you, it is saying you all. It is frequently the case in the epistles. And no exception is present in uh, this verse. Now, you all are the body of Christ. Now, that could possibly be interpreted as uh, you all, as in each one of you is the body of Christ, but Paul makes it explicitly clear that is not what he means when he clarifies, and you are individually members of it. In other words, a Christian is not the body of Christ. Let's let that resonate for just a moment. One Christian is not the body of Christ. You are individually members of the body of Christ. Well, there's a number of implications for that, but the first is this. You are united to other Christians as parts of the same body. You are united to other Christians as parts of the same body. To be united to the head is simultaneously to be united in God's providence to other members of the body. There is no such thing as a body part connected to the head, but not connected to the rest of the body. As grotesque as that would look, that is spiritually grotesque as well. There is no such thing as multiple bodies of Christ represented by different Christians. There is a body of Christ, and that body is comprised of multiple body members. Our ultimate union with each other 
This means our ultimate union with each other, our union in Christ that we have as being part of the body of Christ, our ultimate union with each other is not based, therefore, listen to this, is not based on our political ideology or our national identity or our perspectives on life, but on our unity in Christ. Now that might be the most challenging thing I'll say all morning if we really think about it. Our unity with each other is not based on any number of other similarities or preferences or values. It is based on our union with Christ. Our identity in Christ unites us to all of those who are believers in Christ. Because of the priority of Christ in the life of every Christian, in other words, he's not just a part of their life, he is their life. Christ is not just one of a host of our identities. He is our all-consuming identity. All other identities find their place behind and beneath him. It doesn't mean every Christian is identical. It means every Christian has the same priority of identity list. And at the top of that list is Christ. More than you are an engineer, more than you are a man, more than you are educated or not, more than you are wealthy or not, more than you like sports or not, more than you are of one ethnicity or another, or one nationality or another, one political party or another, more than your hobbies, more than your interests, more than your family size, you are first and foremost connected to Christ. And that means that that same connection that someone else has is more important to you than any of those secondary truths about them are different from you. Now, this shared union with Christ, to be the body of Christ, is always, always, for all of church history, and no exception now, always tempted by our individual preferences and burdens, and our shared union with Christ is certainly going to be tested and has been tested in this season. We are tempted to be more identified by secondary views and preferences than we are on our identity with Christ, medical solutions to COVID, our views on wearing masks, our views on government, views on politics, views on American history, views on ethnic tensions. And this is on top of our own natural tendency toward pride and arrogance that was already present in 2019. Our union with Christ is more important. Now now receive this. You are the body of Christ, Paul says. What are you? You are part of the body of Christ. That means our union with Christ is more important, more important than our national identity, our family identity, our political identity. You are more united to a Christian that you believe to be massively wrong about COVID, masks, politics, social solutions, ethnic tensions than you are to a non-Christian who agrees with you 100% in all of those areas. Now let's just... Let that truth sink in. We are more united to a Christian, a genuine Christian, that we might believe is massively wrong about COVID, masks, politics, social solutions, political party, ethnic tensions. Even if we think they're massively wrong, even if some of their perspectives are downright unbiblical, All the Christians we're connected to aren't perfect. And as Spurgeon would say, if they were, they would become imperfect the moment we joined them. So even if they are wrong, 
according to our perspective, or maybe even according to the Bible, even if they're sinful, if they are a genuine Christian, we are more united to them, and we should feel the joy of that greater union more than we are to a non-Christian who agrees with us 100% on everything else. Now, we know that to be true theologically, but let's be really honest with ourselves. Is that true emotionally, practically? Would you feel as united? Would you rejoice in that union the same way if that guy was at your house this afternoon for lunch who disagrees with you? On a large number of topics, would you, would you feel the joy of your greater union with them? Would I? And if that guy who agrees with you on everything but just doesn't claim Jesus as Lord, would you enjoy that lunch more? Many times we would. So that's why we need the Bible. So the Bible comes to us and says, you're trying to separate the head from the body and the body from the body. You're trying to make your identity with Christ a lower emotional priority for you than other passions that are valuable in your life. The Bible doesn't say all Christians are always the same or they all sin in the same ways or they have the, all the, the same foolish ideas about life. No, we, we have plenty of foolish ideas to go around. They're diverse in the church. Our identity in Christ supersedes all of those. Where we're right, where we're wrong, we are united to Christians in Christ. Now, this year is going to put this truth to the test. It already is, and I don't know if you know this, but there's an election coming up, and that is going to put this to the test as well. There's going to be a lot of conversations about all manner of news items and perspectives and political ideas and structures, many of which at best have some tangential connection to the Bible, but we might present them as if we could quote chapter and verse. Now, some of them are more closely or even directly related to Scripture, and where they are, we should stand courageously in those categories. But, but many of them, if we're honest, are more of a, a loose holding on to some biblical principle that we're just sure can only be applied in this one particular political reality. And those who disagree with us, we would have as much distance from them as if they were defying Christ himself. At least that's the way we would speak. But the reality is we are united to Christ and therefore to his Christians. We need this body metaphor to shape us more than our upbringing, more than the news shows we watch, more than our preferences about viewing the past or viewing the future, more even than our vote. We need this union to be more important to us because Christ is more important to us, and that's the solution. If we find that we struggle in this way, if we're uncomfortable in this way, the solution is not to cease to care about all those other things and to become some kind of cube Christian that looks identical to everybody else. No, it's fine to have preferences and ideas in your own independent mind about things. That's fine. But the point is to elevate the value of Christ in your life so that when you see a person who also cares about your own Christ in that same way, that's what you care about them more than anything else. You are a body member of Christ, Paul says. 
you are united to other body members of Christ. Now, I want you to know, and I pray this will be true of every member in our church as we walk through this season. I'm sure like many of you, I have an opinion about American history and American politics and masks and COVID and the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I'm not an expert on any of those topics, and let's just be clear, none of us are. And that should humble me, but I have an opinion about them. But my union with all of you is more important to me than any of those opinions. I'd rather be united to you in Christ than have all of those issues go my own way. I'd rather be united to you in Christ than have you agree with me on all of those issues. I'd rather live out my unity to you in Christ than be with those who agree with me on all those issues but aren't united to me in Christ. Has our identity as the body of Christ shaped the way we view other identities and other Christians, especially those who disagree with us about painful and important cultural topics? We are united in Christ. doesn't make us all identical. It just orders our priorities of identity. Third category of application, we need each other in Christ. We need each other in Christ. This actually is the major point that leads up to this verse 27. And you may know this if you've read 1 Corinthians 12. It's, it's a masterful chapter. I would highly recommend it. Read the whole thing through. He uses the body metaphor to explain how no Christian can say they are not needed. That's verse 15. One body part is, is, allowed to, is not allowed to say it's not needed in the body. In other words, he's, he's not allowed to say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. I'm worthless. No Christian is allowed to say that. But also it's the case that no body part can say that it does not need another body part. This is verse 18 where it says God has arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the parts of the body be? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So, so the, the point is we need each other. We are called to build up others and to receive their building up of us in turn. And the body metaphor is perfect for this. And don't, don't press the metaphor too far. It's like one organ's more important than the other. Don't bring American Western science. Okay, th this is just a metaphor, okay? The point is, all in a healthy body, all the body parts need one another. They, they depend on one another. They are not independent, and they are not allowed to be independent. They are not allowed to exclude themselves from usefulness in the body, nor are they allowed to claim they don't need the usefulness of other body parts. The body metaphor is meant to communicate the spiritual reality that God has made all of us to need and be needed by each other. We are not independent and we are not free from responsibility from others. We are absolutely our brother's keeper just as he is ours. Now, of course, the body of Christ is larger than just one local church that is true, there is a universal body of Christ, all those who believe in Jesus, but it is also true that in the New Testament, the experience of an individual believer of being the body of Christ is realized in a local church. 
Just to point back to this verse 27, it is interesting that Paul calls the Corinthians the body of Christ. He doesn't say you are a part of the body of Christ and individually members of that part. He says you are the body of Christ, church in Corinth. So how do we combine these? Well, well, somehow it is as if each church, though not the comprehensive body of Christ, can genuinely say it is a local expression of that body in reality. So much so that Paul can say you, church of Corinth, are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. So this should be held in tension. Of course, no one church is the exclusive body. But on the other hand, no Christian can claim they are a part of the worldwide body of Christ who is not a part of a local expression of that body. What this body metaphor absolutely forbids is a spiritual and relational independence for the faithful Christian. A faithful Christian that seeks to live in independence from the rest of the body is as grotesque, spiritually speaking, as a body part seeking to be connected to the head but not being connected to the body. And to make it very, very clear, a Christian is not connected to the body if they just dabble in various teachings from various teachers around the world. There is no faithful pastor I know who puts any of their content online who wants the the listening of that content by some random person around the world to be equated with membership in a local church. That is like church buffet, not church membership. That's like eating at various churches, that is not the same thing as being a body part of the church. And the most obvious reason is that the church needs you. John John Stott makes this point quite graphically. He says, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly. What a phrase. That grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. You got, you got to love writers and, and commentators who could care less how the truth comes across. I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness. Heaven is not a gathering of severed body parts, but rather to build his church. That is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. So then, the reason we are committed to the church is that God is so committed. So what does this mean for us in the earthquake of 2020 and beyond? What does it mean for us? It it means that if you believe in Christ, you should pause and reaffirm right now that you cannot be connected to Christ unless you are wholly connected and faithfully connected to the life of his body. You cannot be faithfully claiming to be a Christian 
while simultaneously neglecting in an ongoing lifestyle kind of way the body that is the body of Christ. Let us ask ourselves the question, are there Christians who could not easily define their Christian life without me? And are there those that I could not define my Christian life without them? I don't mean salvation. We're not saved by walking in the doors of a church. But being saved to Christ the head, we are a part of his body. The church is not a business that we attend as clients. It's not a show that we watch as an audience. It's not an association to affirm from a distance. It is a body that grows only, according to Ephesians 4, only as each part does its work properly. So that the growth of the church is dependent on the faithful participation of each part should land on the conscience of any Christian who is merely associating or observing a church from the outside. The church itself depends on each part working properly. We need each other. Therefore, God's purposes in the world should land on the conscience of any isolated Christian because that isolated Christian is tangibly resisting God's purpose in the world, which is for his church to grow, which is accomplished by the will of God as each part does its work. Now, of course, in 2020, the way to support and be supported by each other has not been made easy, which is largely why I'm preaching this message. Difficulty is not dismissal of responsibility for the Christian. It is the opportunity for fresh faith and biblical conviction. Difficulty is not the dismissal of, of, of responsibility for the Christian. It is the opportunity for fresh faith and conviction. Because something is hard does not mean God has said, don't worry about it anymore. It means we can experience in our weakness and limitation and challenge the overwhelming power of God himself. That doesn't let us off of the calling. We should be doing all that we can in this day of physical challenges, conscience distinctions, different preferences, limitations of meeting space, governmental requirements, and so forth. We should do all we can faithfully with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to fulfill our calling to need and be needed by the body of Christ. Fourth application of this truth, you are the body of Christ. Fourth application, we're called to love each other in Christ. Now, right after Paul describes us as the body of Christ, he explains that the chief characteristic of that body, the trait that should be our mission and our passion and our priority that should define us above everything else is love. And he clarifies that whatever else we have going for us, if we don't have love, we are less than worthless, we are annoying. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 
I had an experience this last week where it was the middle of the night, and I was gone. And my wife, who is a better household protective sleeper than I am, woke up, shook me awake, and I woke up to the sound of my dog going crazy and a pounding at my door. And I, I think I died and then I, I was resurrected just a moment there temporarily. <laughs> and I went downstairs and I'm, 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 it's the dog's barking, which he never does at night. He's going crazy. And I'm thinking, somebody's in the house. And I go down, nobody's there. And there's somebody at the front door. And he's banging at the front door. What, what's happening? Well, well, thankfully, it wasn't an intruder. It was a very, very kind officer from the sheriff's department informing me that my van door was open, and God bless young children. And I, I, I somehow the presence of mind, thank you, I thank you for your service, and went close the van door and went back in and tried to go back to sleep. You know what a Christian is like that has not love? They're like a great knocking in the middle of the night except for no good purpose. I just thought I'd wake you up with my opinion. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Gong. <laughs> if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, if I was going to pick a verse uh, <laughs> in the contest for most necessary verse in 2020, uh, that, would, <laughs> that verse would certainly be in the running. Because it is a season of a an explosion of knowledge. It, it's a season of everybody looking to gain knowledge, which is not wrong, it's right, and then express knowledge, which sometimes is wrong and not right. It's a season of sharing knowledge with everyone, of assuming we have knowledge. But here's what Paul says, even if we had perfect knowledge, I mean, could he be more hyperbolic? To understand all mysteries. And the point here is supernatural. God gives you prophetic powers to know what is going to happen in November. And what's going to happen next year. And what precisely is going to happen in the culture and around the world. If you could with perfect divine accuracy predict the future. But if you have not love, you are nothing. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we must receive that, should we not? not I, I, I'm glad to have a conversation about my non-expert perspective. But there should be a major dose of warning in the way that I communicate those things. Firstly, because I'm not an expert and God hasn't given me <laughs> all prophetic knowledge of all things at all times. 
but also because even if I did, if I wasn't loving this individual, I am nothing. The body of Christ is called to love. And he's speaking to a a church that is very impressed with their spiritual gifts, very impressed with their spiritual maturity compared to others, divisive because they exaggerated their spiritual importance. And he is saying this intentionally. You Corinthians, you're impressed. You know what you are? Nothing. Not one, not two, not three, not five, not ten. Zero. You are a zero if you don't love. Listen, faithfulness in being the body of Christ means we prioritize love over knowledge of this world, our perspectives, our preferences. doesn't mean we don't have them. Not willing to talk about them and share our perspectives, but it means we love others. It means even their ignorance of something we actually know doesn't excuse us from not loving them. And definitely their sin in something they should know doesn't excuse us from not loving them. And definitely our perspective that even we don't know perfectly doesn't excuse us from not loving them. We are called to love. To love each other. And we love each other. It makes a lot of sense because we are a part of the same body. To not love another Christian is... (laughs) Literally, to do harm to yourself. It's like your hand beating on your kidney. It's dysfunctional. It's psychotic. It's ridiculous because God has made us one. And it also makes sense that we love each other because we all belong to Christ. To fail to love a body member of Christ, even that one who is so frustratingly confident in their opinions... To fail to love that one is to fail to love the one that Christ died for. Each Christian we meet is a person bought by the blood of Christ. How gently and patiently and respectfully and humbly should we treat them? This is a part of his body. We dare not treat it with arrogance or rudeness or condescension. As Paul says in Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So imagine, here is that that brother who is confident and wrong, according to me. Here is that one that Christ died for. Here is that sister who can't seem to appreciate that what she's doing is troubling and difficult for me. But here is that one that Christ died for. Here is that one that always demands forgiveness and is slow to extend it. But this is that one that Christ died for. Here is that one who expects initiation but does not initiate. Here is that one Christ died for. Here is that one who's wrong about politics, wrong about cultural tensions, and wrong about the way he talks to me. But this is that one that Christ died for. We are his body. And here is a member 
that was once in the grip of the devil and Christ made him or her a part of his own body at the cost of his life on the cross. The cross of Christ Jesus should shape the way we relate to brothers and sisters who were saved at that cross. Would we dare separate ourselves in anger from this one at the foot of that cross where his sins and my sins are being forgiven? You know what we all do when there's a, a conflict or a frustration or a difficulty where we march off in silence and fume for a couple of hours or days or ever? Would we do that remembering that we stand in the presence of the crucified and risen one when this one Christ died for. We love them because we're commanded to and we're nothing without it. We love them because they are literally us in the body of Christ. But we also love them because they are the ones Christ died for. They are his precious blood-bought people and we will love them at whatever cost, at whatever sacrifice, at whatever sacrifice of our preference or our ideas or our perspective or our comfort. We will love them and we will keep loving them until the one who saved them returns and takes them home. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? It means a lot of things. It means we're submitted to Christ, definitely. It means we're united in Christ. It means that we need each other in Christ. It means we love each other in Christ, and probably a host more if we explored them all. But we must not be seeking to separate functionally the head from the body, clinging to Christ and arguing with his people. In that cartoon, a helpful little pigeon comes along, first time a pigeon's ever been helpful, comes along and helps the dog escape with his head. In this case, God himself comes to the Christian tempted toward isolationism, which I believe in this year and following is only amplified for the Christian and says you, you cannot be connected to Christ and not be called to his body. To belong to Christ is to be called to his body. It's to need them, to be united to them, to love them, to obey Christ with them. Let me say on behalf of the pastors that I am so grateful for how faithfully Redemption Hill Church does this. Thank you for serving each other as the body of Christ. Thank you for being patient in an impatient season. Thank you for being humble in an arrogant season. Thank you for being flexible in a demanding and rigid season. Thank you for being peaceful in an unpeaceful season. Thank you for being the body of Christ. I don't think that the test of our bodiness is going away anytime soon. So let's keep being the body of Christ for his glory and honor and his name until he returns. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, in my undeserved role as one of the pastors of this church, I thank you for this dear 
church that loves you and loves each other. I thank you for their example of servanthood. I thank you for their care and kindness toward each other. And Lord, I pray for strength to endure. Lord, give us an enduring love, an enduring love that does not fade. Lord, this season we have to navigate, Lord, more challenges, it seems, than we did last year. And so, Lord, we trust that you're going to give us more grace. Give us grace for extra patience, extra love, extra humility, extra kindness. And, Lord, let us resist the temptation to isolate ourselves. But, Lord, give grace in all situations and circumstances to need and be needed for your glory. Build your church. Build your church and use us as you do it. In Jesus' name. Amen.